0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpets or tile clean, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way, just $33 per room. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res carpet cleaning. We're joined now by Brandon Huffman. He's joined us before to talk college football recruiting. He's a national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. So, the Utes, they've had good teams. The passing game has been the part of the team that has usually been pointed at as the, the group that came up just short of whatever they were trying to do, whether it was in the days when they were five and seven trying to get bowl eligible, the days when they had eight or nine wins trying to get the conference title game, or now they've been to the conference title game twice but haven't won the conference and gone to the Rose Bowl or the playoff. So with Nate Johnson, Brandon Rose, the commitments from them, is Utah hitting a new level of quarterback play?
1: I think they are. I think they are. And I think you look at, you know, uh, Brandon Rose as being more of that traditional back pocket passer Nate Johnson is developing as a passer, but that's not to say he's not a good passer already. He's just a 10-5 guy who's the fastest quarterback probably in the United States. So you're getting him knowing his legs are a weapon, but the way he has progressed from his sophomore to junior year as a passer and just the continued development there, I think they're going to end up with two really outstanding passers. They just also get a guy who can absolutely fly in Nate Johnson, but... They're really checking every box what you need in your quarterback, and now they get two of them in the same class, which is you know, almost uncommon nowadays.
0: So for years, Utah had the perception, and maybe it still exists, actually, you know, they're going to run, and if they don't get a first down, they're going to punt and play great defense, and that's going to be the formula to win. So that wasn't necessarily attractive to hotshot recruits, and everybody thinks they want to play in the NFL. And if you want to be a quarterback and play in the NFL, you got to throw for uh, all these thousands of yards and all that stuff. Is that perception of the Utes changing?
1: I think so. I think so. I think when, you know... Whenever you're recruiting an elite recruit, too, you've got to convince them and compel them, like, hey, some of what we're doing is because we're limited at this position, you can be the guy that changes those limitations. So if we're not a team that's known for as much of our air assault, known much for our passing, you go after a guy who can pass and say, listen, this is what we want to do conceptually, but this is what we've been limited to be able to do because of the resources we have. If you come, you allow us to expand our playbook. You allow us to expand our office. And so I think if there were any questions about, you know, Utah not being able to expand on what they're able to do, they now have the pieces in place to expand that passing game, to utilize more of the aerosol. I mean, granted, they're still going to want to win by running the ball, I, I, but I, you look at teams, you know, look at the NFL, you look at college teams, you look at probably the most prominent college team is, is Alabama and Nick Saban. It wasn't until about the mid two thousand tens where Nick Saban realized we have to actually include the forward pass. We can no longer go off of game managers and Asia McCarron turning around and handing it off to one of our fifteen running backs. We gotta start checking the rock. And I think that, you know, Utah's seen just how close they've been to tasting, you know, all the riches of the playoffs, to tasting the riches of a Pac twelve title, and maybe it's just one more dimension, adding more of a passing assault to the offense allows that that's going to be attractive to high school quarterbacks because every high school kid thinks i'm just that one missing piece that they need and when you're able to show them that literally they can be and they are that missing piece that opens up things that they're able to do on saturdays
0: do the youths have the receivers to go with these quarterbacks
1: I think they do, but I also think if you look at what Utah has done in the transfer portal these last couple of years, I think that too shows that if they don't have them from the high school ranks, if they don't have them from a recruiting class standpoint, that they hit the portal hard, and then that's where you start to find the talent. And I think, you know, that's a, another topic for another day and a huge big picture topic. But you look at the, their roster right now, I mean, you've got at least two Pac-12 receivers that are transferred in um, you've got some guys that have come in as high school recruits but if you kind of need a, a jolt you kind of need a uh you know a, somebody that can come in and make an instant impact that you don't necessarily need to spend two years developing and learning the offense you hit the portal and i think that you're going to see more and more schools that if they're maybe deficient in one specific area if they don't have the bodies from a youth standpoint They'll go hit the portal and not only get older, experienced vets, but guys that are going to come in, and it's a business decision, business move for them. They're coming in more ready than maybe a high school freshman is because these guys really realize that this is their last opportunity. So that gets you a Theo Howard I and mean, they McLean, and that gives you an opportunity to start having some more dimensions added to your passing at that.
0: So how is the transfer f- portal affecting high school recruiting?
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing. It, it, with the exception of quarterback, it's really causing high school coaches to pause just how aggressive they've been in recruiting. Now, you're still going to have some schools that they realize that they still need to make a ton of offers. So you have some schools that have offered into the two, 300s of offers. Then you have other schools that have only maybe made 40 or 50 offers. They've been a little bit more deliberate in their approach, a little bit more picky in the type of ta- – uh, the, the targets that they're going after. And so because of that, you're now going to find the portal. You're finding guys that there's no drama. There's no, you know, the the social mediaization of the recruiting process are no longer an issue. I mean, one of the big things that when we saw guys go back to take unofficial visits in June was the reintroduction of photo shoots. Half these guys are going on visits just to have the Instagram picture. There's no interest in that school. There's no interest in that school in them, but it looks cool on social media. But when you get to a guy who's been in the portal, maybe he's been out of school for two years, he doesn't care about recruiting trips. He doesn't care about official visits. He doesn't care about seeing if he fits the town. He sees an opportunity to get up that depth chart, get on top of that depth chart quick, and it's a business decision. I think you're seeing more college coaches try to cut out the recruiting drama and just find the guys that need to be there in addition to wanting to be there. And I think you're going to see more and more schools hit the portal hard because – a, you're not having to develop, you're not having to wait, you're not having a red shirt, you're not having as many guys. Yeah, yeah you're still going to lose guys to the portal, which allows you to go into the portal, but I think you're seeing a different mentality from the guys in the portal, and it's not always negative. Although there's a lot of people that like to throw shade at guys that go in the portal on Twitter, there are a lot of guys that they just want to play, and that's why they go in the portal. And there's not a clearer depth chart, so they find a school where the depth chart's more manageable. So I think you're going to see schools hit the portal that much harder because – those guys come with less frills and less drama and more immediate impactability.
0: Brandon Huffman join us, national recruiting, uh, covering national recruiting for 24-7, and I am curious what you think of what USC is doing because if Utah is improving, but if USC is improving by leaps and bounds, Ute fans still end up frustrated. What's your take on the Trojans?
1: Well, I think they've done a really good job of kind of recapturing their, their brand out West, but what's been fascinating is As good as their 2021 class was, it was really good too. I mean, they had a lot of players from the state of California that decided to stay home, guys that they were losing. If you look at their class this year, there's a heavy influence of -of out-of-state guys. I mean, if you look at some of the players that they've gotten commitments from, you got Texas, you got Georgia, you got players from outside the state of California, and is that because the California kids just aren't interested? Is that because they, you know, USC sees that maybe the talent in California is it a strong, you know, there, there may be a couple of reasons, but what you are seeing is that USC is very, very worried and concerned about their national brand fading. And so they've done, they've had a much more concerted effort to go national this year to show that that brand still is a lot of kicking. The problem when you do that, when you are strong in a certain region is that means there's a lot of guys in your backyard that you may be overlooking or may not take commitments from that ultimately and eventually come back to bite you come Saturdays in the fall when they get to college. So there may be some guys percolating out there that would have been normal USC targets in a a perfect scenario, in a perfect year. And USC, for whatever reason, is looking past them. Those are the guys who go to other Pac-12 schools and then end up torturing programs for three or four years. So I think it's a bold strategy. I think when you're USC, I've long said this. You can go sign 90% of your class within a 30 to 40-mile radius, then go cherry-pick two or three or four guys nationally from Georgia or Texas, but your home base should be California. And yet USC seems to be going on an opposite approach. They kind of are going what Oregon has been doing, where Oregon maybe gets one or two guys from the state. Obviously, demographically, the talent's not as strong in Oregon and California, but Oregon thrives off of going out of their state. I think USC doesn't need to go out of state, but this is what their kind of approach is now under Clay Helton. Let's try to go more national and show that we have that national brand, but then you tend to forget local as well.
0: How much is this imaging and likeness and all that stuff going to affect recruiting?
1: I think it's going to be a huge step in the direction of that's what schools are going to focus on. You know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen the arms race from a facility standpoint. We've seen one school say, oh, you're going to build a $50 million facility. We're going to build a $51 million facility just so we could say we have the most expensive facility in the conference. Hiring strength and conditioning coaches and nutrition programs and trying to give all the bells and whistles. But now we're seeing a return to, hey, it's about what we can do to build your own brand, what we can do to market you. The strength and conditioning is nice. The the, the nutrition program is nice. But how are we helping your brand? And again, I I go back to the social mediaization of recruiting. More and more kids are now understanding this is when you build your brand. You don't build it after you've established yourself as a 25-year-old, 30-year-old, uh, NBA or NFL start, you establish it when you're 15 or 16. Your parents finally give you permission to get Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. It's unusual to go to a 7-on-7 tournament or to a camp and see a player have his own small video crew tracking his every move. So now you're starting to see, and this is the first official visit, visit cycle, uh, largely because of the pandemic pushing it back. But this is the first official visit cycle where now when you talk to a kid after his official visit, he talks about the NIL meeting, the, the, the coaches that are, are talking about it. Those are the ones that you can tell they understand it's going to be a big thing. The, to me, the biggest part of this is there's 25 guys in the class that are going to sign. Three to five maybe are going to be marketable. There's 20 to 22 guys that think that they're going to have the same cachet as other guys in those classes. And they're going to be greatly disappointed so college coaches are going to have to massage a lot of egos here when they sign a kid and nobody's interested in that kid promoting their product on instagram because nobody cares about the third string backup left tackle you're not the quarterback you know trevor lawrence can go and get all the endorsements he wants and needs but the backup quarterback who was the 25th pick in that or 25th guy in that class i think the best example i've used before is if you go back and look at alabama's 2017 class Nobody in the world, and certainly nobody in Tuscaloosa, would have cared about Mac Jones and wanted to have him market anything. Everybody would have wanted to go for Tua. Nobody cares about what you did after college anymore. It's what you can do when you get to school. So you're going to have situations like that where guys just aren't going to be marketable. So college coaches, not only do they have to talk about how they're going to help with the name, image, and likeness, and the branding, they're going to have to massage the egos of those that there is no interest in.
0: Or someone's going to guarantee him fifty grand because that's going to
1: be the new shtick. Well, and, and, you know, that's been the biggest concern. But, I mean, I realize there are certain parts of the country, and I'm not naming any specific regions, where they seem to spend a high amount of money on recruiting or there's the accusations or the assumptions that large amount of bags. But as reckless as boosters can be, I just don't see them dropping fifty grand recruit in any class. I mean, I would love to have the kind of money where I could do that. And shoot, I wouldn't be giving it to a 17-year-old who may or may not transfer out after the first fall practice. But that's the thing. I think there's going to be a much more judicious process to it. So even the boosters are going to say, well, now we can do it. Instead of giving 50 grand to every kid, we can give 250 to this star quarterback who he's the difference between us going to a regular bowl game on New Year's Day to now we can play for a national championship. I think you're just going to see more players, the high-end players, top-end players' value increase that much more rather than an evening of the playing field that everybody's going to get a piece of the pie.
0: Brandon, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and talking a little youths and a little recruiting. Anytime, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on.